Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome back to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we will discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic. Rather than making recommendations, because everyone's circumstances are different, we'll talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. Hi, this is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and in Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please also consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're going to talk about something called quality of earnings reports. And uh, this is an important topic. We, we're right now at a high point over the last 10 years of merger and acquisition activity, which in English means that businesses are being bought and sold all over the place. And valuations are very attractive. Financing is out there. You know Whether you think it's, it's back to the good slash bad old days of 2006, 2007, we'll leave it to you to make that determination. But the fact of the matter is that buying businesses is, uh, is definitely back, and it's, it's back in style. And as it turns out, a lot of that, a lot of my practice in uh, business appraisals happens to be in the, in the M&A world. And you know, my job is to help a client figure out the appropriate price and to a certain extent the terms associated with a transaction. Uh, but within that process of, of examining a transaction, there's this thing that we call due diligence. And due diligence, when you really get down to it, is really just trying to answer the question, is this business what the seller says the business is? It's really all that in a bag of chips, basically. And they're all that, that due diligence process, if it's done well, is, is typically very involved in a very engaged process. It sometimes takes 30 days, usually takes 60 to 90 days, and I've seen it go as far or as long as 180 days if it's a particularly complicated transaction. And the due diligence process will involve everything from uh, legal due diligence, intellectual property, customer due diligence, and so forth. And, you know, to be perfectly candid from the, the seller's perspective, um, it's about as comfortable as your garden variety colonoscopy. But if you want to sell your business and you want to get the right price for it, that's, that's what you got to do. There's just no alternative to it. Now, financial due diligence, of course, is an important part of this entire kind of investigation um, and, and sort of crunching the numbers. And what we're going to learn about today is kind of a specialized portion of that financial due diligence is called quality of earnings. And what quality of earnings means at the end of the day is that, that not all earnings are alike. You know, accounting is a funny thing. Accounting is a language. And like any language, a, a word or a term can mean different things depending on the context, depending on the syntax of that conversation. Um, and so quality of earnings can mean different things to different people, to different buyers. And looking at quality of earnings is, has become much more in vogue. I've seen it come much more in vogue in, say, the last 10 years, 
where a specific exercise is done, not just to, to kind of validate the numbers that are presented, but really dig into what do those numbers mean? Are those, uh, is the financial performance of the company sustainable? Is it telling us the story of, of, of what we would like to do? But of course, with performing additional due diligence, that means extra expense, extra time, extra fees. So the question comes up, does it make sense to perform or have a quality of earnings report done on this particular transaction? And for those of you who have listened before, I'm not qualified to tell you that. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a CP. I don't even do my own taxes. Uh, but I have somebody here today who is qualified to help us answer that question. And she is my friend and business partner, Teresa Snyder. Uh, Teresa is uh, an audit partner with, uh, with Brady Ware, and she has over 25 years of experience in public accounting and private industry. Her experience includes not-for-profit organizations, professional services firms, wholesalers, manufacturing, and importers-exporters of various industries. Teresa has assisted her clients in a broad range of general management and financial consulting services, accounting systems design, and accounting and financial reporting issues. In addition to providing client service, Teresa serves as the Atlanta audit leader for the firm. She has earned the AICPA IFRS, which means International Gap Certificate. Prior to joining the firm, Teresa specialized in software consulting and implementation of fully integrated accounting software for various types of organizations, including wholesalers and manufacturers and importers, exporters. You know, until I looked this up, I did not know you were that much of a tech, tech head. You've been holding out on me. Teresa is a CPA in Georgia and a member of the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Georgia Society of Cer Certified Public Accountants. Teresa has served as a coach for youth sports and is involved in a variety of not-for-profit organizations in which she holds leadership positions. Teresa, thank you so much for coming on the program today. Thank you, Mike. Happy to be here. So let's sort of... Before we get into that, I'd like to learn a little bit more, let our listeners learn, learn a little bit more about your role at, at Brady Ware. When we say that you're the, the director, the audit leader of the Atlanta office of Brady Ware, what does that mean? What does somebody who hears that take away from it? Well, um, our team provides audit and review services that help our clients in uh, meeting their financial reporting obligations to investors and, and bankers. We also serve as advisors to our clients in a variety of business transactions, which include M&A transactions. Okay. And, and so, and one of the services that you provide out of this office is a quality of earnings analysis. Correct? Yes, that's correct. So somebody is, is buying a company and, and they're really interested, but they, they think that they would like to kind of do that deep dive into the financials. That's something that you do through your practice, correct? Yes, that's right. right. So what, what is a quality of earnings analysis exactly? What, what is a client buying? Well, it's a detailed analysis of um, all the components of the company's revenue and expenses, their operating cash flows, and their assets and liabilities. Typically, we're going to look at a period of about 24 to 36 months of financial data so that we can assess the accuracy of the historical data and, and consider the sustainability of future operations. So I, I like to hone in a little bit on the, on the sustainability. What are the kinds of things that that make operations or make earnings sustainable versus not sustainable? Well, we're looking for um, 
transactions such as non-recurring items. They might be non-recurring revenue. It might be a one-time revenue opportunity that a company had and is not present in in the future on an ongoing basis. Now, one thing I I, actually am engaged on, I'm working on right now, I've got a client that's thinking about buying a company, and then uh, all of a sudden their expenses went went down conveniently right before the transaction is supposed to take place. And we're kind of suspecting, but we don't know that what's happened is they've delayed their expenses, right, to make that look good, and then those expenses will wind up popping up after the transaction, right? Is that something that a quality of earnings analysis can bring to light for a client? Yes, it should. It should be part of that analysis. So you're going to be looking at expenses as well and trying to determine are there understated expenses um, for a variety of reasons. It could be someone postponing. um, It could be an unfilled position, for instance, um, an executive position that's not filled for a time period, and so your expenses come in understated. Okay. So what, you know, if I'm, I'm a, we both know that doing a transaction is not cheap. Right. Um, it just, it, it, if you want it done well, right, if you want to go into it blindly, that's very cheap. But it's not, it's not, not cheap to do it well. On top of all the other fees that we've got going on, paying somebody like me for appraisals, tax advice, investment bankers, lawyers, everything else, right, when does it make sense to think about adding a quality of earnings study onto that onto that to-do list or onto that menu? Well, I, I think the quality of earnings study, um, going through that process, um, part of it is to normalize your EBITDA. That's your earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And that's often a proxy for cash flow, right? Correct. Right. And so then once you uh, normalize your EBITDA for the time period that you're looking at, Um, then you're also going to start looking for those one-time transactions. And generally, they're going to be addbacks. They might involve owner transactions that wouldn't be present in the future operation. Um, There could be a variety of of addbacks to that number. And you're trying to, once you normalize the EBITDA, that becomes your basis for establishing the multiple, which is your selling price. So it's very important that that number is critical in the sales transaction. So I want to touch upon. So uh, it, it's it's not uncommon. It sounds like that for even a seller to have a quality of earnings done on their own company, right? Almost like ha- having a a private investigator investigate yourself. Correct. So there there can be two different approaches. Um, typically, the buyer is the one that's going to commission the quality of earnings study. Um, they're going to use it for their own purposes to decide if what they're looking at buying. Um, has a sustainability that they're looking for. Um, But a seller could also, and and I have seen that, a seller might commission a quality of earnings study in preparation for going to market or a buyer has come to them and they want to see what it looks like and are they being offered a fair price. And I think that's that's a smart thing to do because selling a business in addition to being expensive is hard. It's complex. You and I both know that the business owners and they're selling a business. It's a it's both an exciting and stressful time. Yeah, exactly. And, and the stress often comes from when a buyer starts pointing out basically the baby's not as pretty as you think it is. Right. Right. So you're getting very constructive, very practical criticism about the business. And 
that's a lot easier to react to in a constructive way if you already know that criticism is coming, right? And maybe even you're in a scenario where you know that criticism is coming, but because you had that study done, before the seller even finds out about it, maybe you disclose it to them proactively, and that can, that can create a, um, a positive impression, create trust in the conversation. But at the minimum, at least then you're prepared for it. Right. So you don't yes. you don't react to it in a panic. Right. Is that a fair way to, to think about it? Yeah, I think so. And even if you back up and, and take even a longer term view and you go through this process or um, some version of this process, then you can react to it and act on opportunities that you might be missing or make corrections in areas that need to be corrected before you ever go into the marketplace. Interesting. So can you think of examples of of those of opportunities that might surface, say if you do this, this preemptive, proactive QOE or quality of earnings. Mm-hmm. And if I understand you correctly, it sounds like you don't necessarily have to wait until there's a pending transaction. You may just do it as a matter of good management. Is that fair to say? Correct. Okay. If, if you're anticipating that you want to sell at some point in the future, um, and again, you may not go through the full level of the quality of earnings analysis. You might um, do there are some other engagements and uh, agreed upon procedures and, and a lot of business owners know if they have a, a problem area and so that could be something that a business owner might enter into to help construct you know what is the what are our challenges here and perhaps what are some things that we can do to correct that okay so a question I hear a lot is you know what if what if the firm's financial statements are already audited, right? The, there's a perception, which I'm not sure is entirely right, but there's a perception that because an audit's been done, automatically they're going to catch these things. And we had one of our colleagues, Randy Domigan, on la- a few weeks ago um, and talk about forensic accounting and audits don't necessarily catch fraud, for example. You know, isn't, is it reasonable to assume that because there's a, there's a gap-compliant audit with a, a, you know, a, a clean opinion or an unqualified opinion, is it reasonable to assume that, uh, that there's a quality of earnings report kind of baked in, or do you really need to kind of parse that out and separate that out because that's a, a more separate, detailed exercise? Um, that's a great question, and um, there is absolutely added value to a quality of earnings study on top of an audit. So an audit or even a review, which is a lower level um, of service, um, either one of those are a great tool to enter into a transaction or enter into discussions. Um, They have adding the quality of earnings study. it, It has a lot more key details of what's occurring in the business. Um, Those details are not going to be contained in the audit. And you won't go through that process of normalizing the EBITDA and and looking through what those add-back items might be that might be unique to your business, but not necessarily to the industry. Now, as a buyer, I might be thinking to myself, you know, I'm retaining attorneys and I'm paying them 400, 500 bucks an hour or more. I'm, I'm working with investment bankers and they're doing their thing. They're getting their fees. They've got all kinds of advisors. You know, aren't they already doing this? Isn't this already part of their normal scope? No, they're not. Um, everyone works in their specialized areas. And so the attorneys are focused on the legal due diligence issues. 
Um, the investment bankers are looking at how to market your company and how to negotiate your selling price and how to represent you in that particular transaction. So the the CPA is the um, accounting advisor as a part of that team, and, and putting that team together can help you successfully navigate a transaction and, and hopefully ma- navigate, or excuse me, but hopefully to achieve your maximum selling price. So it does cost a lot of money for all of these professional services. But um, again, going back to the CPA, the the other part of the team is looking to them for their expertise in applying GAAP, which is generally accepted accounting principles. That's what's used in the audits and the reviews. And once you start applying GAAP, you're, you're taking that company and you are measuring the transactions, applying consistency and comparability and reliability to the numbers in their financial statements. Okay. Now, as we know, not every business acquisition is a financially driven transaction, right? And we, we can see this in some of the price multiples that are paid. Maybe there's a, there's a strategic customer. Maybe there's a piece of technology. Maybe, maybe they, they just want to hire some of the talent. The only way they can do that is through an acquisition. In that case, does does a quality of earnings report still make sense? Um, it, it possibly could from a buyer perspective. It really depends. Um, they may want to look at the historical transactions, you know, it, and use that as a measure of their um, not only the sustainability but the future predictions of what they anticipate doing with that business. Okay. So, what are the most common issues you see that come up in a in a quality of earnings report, what what's sort of on your on your checklist? Well, I, the the top one is inconsistency in financial reporting. So, and this goes back to the gap financial statements. Not all companies are preparing gap financial statements. They don't necessarily have to um, in terms of their tax compliance. So, even though their work might be going through a CPA for for tax preparation, it doesn't necessarily mean their financial statements are in accordance with GAAP. And um, so inconsistency is a big thing that the GAAP part of that process is comparability and consistency of the financial statements and the reporting. You also have, um, again, the non-recurring items or the understated expenses. Um, If you know, you're you're trying to defer expenses, you know, in accordance with GAAP, you're going to accrue that. The business is, is incurring those expenses. They just haven't paid for them yet. So, um, again, you also identify related party relationships and transactions and owner items. That's all a part of that process. So when you say inconsistencies, what, what's an example of something that you might find an inconsistency in that winds up being material potentially to the transaction? Um, it, there are Generally, our um, cutoff is a big issue for a lot of companies, especially smaller businesses. So the proper timing and recording of sales transactions and the allocation of expenses or the matching of expenses to those revenues generated, those are generally your two top areas where you've got cutoff and, and maybe not consistency in reporting. How about revenue? How about the, the way in which revenue is recognized? I see that in, a, in, in an area that's near and dear to my heart, which is technology. And, and what about revenue recognition? Can you sometimes see inconsistencies there and in how rev rec, revenue recognition is applied? 
Um, absolutely. Um, revenue recognition is different among different industries and technology is um, unique to some other in- industries or other businesses. So yes, you can see differences in revenue recognition. And of course, the standards are changing for that as we speak. Um, they're going into effect this year for private companies. And so that may present a challenge to some private companies for, you know, transactions over the next few years is, is working through the revenue recognition issues. So on, on sort of the other side of this process, you go through a quality of earnings process. Um, you know, ha- have, you seen it, have you seen instances where it's actually kind of changed the price in terms of a deal? You know, the, the deal typically starts with a letter of intent, which we both know is varying degrees of not that binding, right? It's really just a placeholder. Um, have, have you seen an instance where the QOE basically changed that, change the parameters of the deal? Yes, it can. It can start reducing that um, multiple of the EBITDA. So uh, a a seller who enters into a transaction and they have their financial reporting house in order, so to speak, and they are able to substantiate all of the information that they've reported, um, they're generally able to hold on to that initial selling price and not face the adjustments. Now, another concern that um, I wonder if clients have, particularly if a transaction is ongoing, you know, we all know good transactions take a long time to unfold. When there are millions of dollars involved, grown-ups are careful making decisions around millions of dollars. And, and, and so, you know, one, a concern might be, oh, boy, we're already doing this X, Y, and Z. We're negotiating. We're doing the due diligence if we inject a quality of earnings report into this discussion, am I going to drag this thing out yet more months? And am I just never going to sell this business? I mean, how do you how do you frame that conversation, or is that even a legitimate concern? Um, the the due diligence process is lengthy, and I, I think you described it accurately. And and it can be a painful exercise for you're still trying to run the business, but at the same time, you've got to address all of the due diligence items in this uh, transaction. And they do take a lot of time. And, and you're, you're addressing, again, you know, your legal diligence, your tax diligence, there's so many issues, your customers, your HR, the culture, there, there are many, many aspects of it. So the it's all run concurrently. And you're, you're hitting all of these fronts at the same time as you're going through this process. Um, you know, the quality of earnings study could potentially add time to it. it. It may depend on the complexity of your revenue and expense streams. It, if, again, if the house, if your financial reporting is in order, if your books are current and they're accurate and you're able to quickly respond to questions, then it's going to speed up that process. But if you're asked a question, uh, for instance, to produce an accounts receivable report, and now you got to take some time to put one together because you haven't been maintaining it. Those types of thi- you know, those things just keep adding time from the um, seller's perspective. Okay. So, um, w- one of the things I think also a client has to think about, and certainly in, in the appraisal world. It's, it's very important because, you know, 
gathering data is a lifeblood of what we do. And sometimes I wonder if the client wonders who's working for whom sometimes. That's you know, true. They'll, they'll get 50 questions from me, and all of a sudden they find out they're spending, they have to blow a whole morning or an afternoon or sometimes more getting us the data. It, it, does a quality of earnings look like that? I mean, if I'm, I'm, if I'm a client, I'm, I'm signing up for this. I'm not just signing up for the money, but also the time I got to invest. How much of the client's time and typically at what level of the organization does that time need to be spent? Uh, it, I guess the answer to that depends on the kind of team that you have in place. So uh, if you have an accounting and a finance team in your organization, obviously they're going to be able to field most of the questions when it comes to a quality of earnings study. Um, the, the owner potentially may need to get involved in, in terms of explaining some things, but it depends on the, the quality and the training and the experience of the accounting team that, that you have. Now, do you find that a quality of earnings makes a difference in terms of the impression on the parties to the transaction and the, and the advisors in the transaction? If maybe you're a, you're, you're a seller and you've already got a QOE ready to go, or maybe you're a buyer and you want to buy the business, but you're, you're, you still have to get the thing financed. Do other parties appreciate kind of having that quality of earnings report ready to go, done, kind of part of the package, or... Are they a little bit, maybe a little bit more blasé about that? And they kind of think, well, we'll get to it when we get to it. Uh, like many answers in our business, I think that depends. Um, some buyers may not rely on a quality of earnings report that you provide to them. They may want to have their own report commissioned. Uh, sometimes, uh, depending on the complexity and, and obviously the dollar value of the transaction, uh, sometimes they will want to see uh, national firms conduct the quality of earnings study. So, uh, you know, again, it depends. They they might read it and decide if they question that report or, you know, the, the credibility of that report. And, and they may decide to accept it if they're satisfied with what they see and it's consistent with the information that you're providing. So that's that's hard to say. It it. If you've gone through it on your own and in advance of entering into a sales transaction and you have to go through it a second time, it's certainly not going to be as painful because you have the information. You know what it is and what they're looking for. Okay. So um, another, another question that kind of comes up, and I see this in my world, sometimes a client is reluctant to have their business appraised because then it can be asked for in the due diligence, a little awkward to say, well, I'm not going to provide that to you. But on the other hand, it, it feels like you're in a poker game, but you have to show the other person your cards before <laughs> right. the, the, the bets are in, right? So that, that's a, a delicate thing that, that I have to work around in my practice. I'm curious, does that come up on your end too, where maybe somebody doesn't want to do the buyer's work for them and, and you know, at their expense and kind of risk exposing anything in advance is that again is that a reasonable concern to have um you know i guess it could be um i think if it depends on how much they know and understand their business i guess and perhaps what they think the buyer is looking for or or might find um generally if if they're trying to hide something somewhere it's going to come out at some level so that's generally not advisable um, they would, the buyer, if, if a buyer commissions a report, which is what we've seen historically, they don't necessarily have to share that information. Now, they may choose to, 
but they don't have to share that information with the seller. And again, I think from the seller's perspective, it's it's their option if they want to share that with the buyer. You know, um, they may want to share it in, in the hopes that they don't have to go through the process again. Yeah. Um, or, it, you know, I mean, it can be very positive information that comes out of that quality of earnings report. And so it could be to their advantage to share it. There's certainly something to be, something to be said for getting out in front of, of the entire discussion. I think so I mean, on many levels. And, and um, I think the seller, if they commissioned a quality of earnings study, no matter at what point they are in the process, that they would want to share that with their investment bankers because their investment bankers are the ones that are queued up and ready to represent them and help them present their business in its best light and, and also provide advice to them throughout the process. So... Um Running out of time, I've got one last question, then we'll have to wrap it up. But um, and I know for you, it's also busy season, so we don't want to keep you away from 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 it too long. Um, the deliverable of, of the quality of earnings report, how, how is that typically used? Does it does it kind of automatically get sent out as part of the sales packet, as a part of maybe the offering memorandum, or is it is it kept in the data room for part of the due for the due diligence exercise? How, how have you most typically seen that used? I think that would depend on the investment banker and probably the results of that quality of earnings study and and how they might present that. Um, They may decide to take the time and make some corrections, um, make some improvements in the business operations, and then update a quality of earnings. I, I haven't personally participated in that, but I could conceive of that happening. Okay. So if, uh, if someone wants to contact you, because we're running out of time, but the, somebody may have other questions. If somebody would like to contact you and learn more about this quality of earnings process, whether on the buy side or the sell side, how can they reach you? Sure. Um, you can find me on our website. That's uh, bradyware.com. My email is tsnyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, at bradyware.com. And also my direct line is 678 678- Three five zero nine five one zero. All right. Well, thank you so much. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Teresa Snyder so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a, re- a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsors, Brady Ware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. 